Star Wars was never going to make money. At least that's what people thought in 1977. None of them knew it, but George Lucas had a bona fide money-making machine on his hands. These Star Wars blockbusters brought in mega cash, but they also cost a lot to create. Today's episode is all about Star Wars money. We'll go behind the scenes to see just how much the Star Wars trilogies have been able to wring out of the galaxy, who's the top paid Star Wars actor, and so much more. So hold on to your wallets, and may the finances be with you. You're listening to Han Talks First. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Han Talks First. It's episode 98. We are two episodes away from our 100th episode, which I'm really excited about, and I hope you all will join me live on the YouTube Monday, March 1st, to celebrate our 100th episode. We're going to have a lot of great topics to discuss, and also a lot of great guests, and maybe some surprises as well. So be sure to mark it in your calendars. And in your Jedi archives, because it's going to be a day worth remembering. I hope you're all having a great week so far. Thank you for listening to this podcast. One thing I've realized in 98 episodes in to the show is that my opening monologues have been running a little long. And I apologize for that. But that's something I'm going to work on moving into season three of this show. So without further ado, let's jump into this show. This show is all about... Well, this episode is all about the finance of Star Wars, the money of Star Wars, the actors' paychecks, how much the movies grossed worldwide, all that kind of stuff. It's a very interesting topic, talking about Star Wars, and something that I think is going to be very interesting to some of you, because it's not just so, you know, cut and dry, as you would think it is when it comes to Star Wars and finances. This is part of a intricate series that we do on this show. You know, we have the music of Star Wars, the science of Star Wars, the philosophy of Star Wars, the dharma of Star Wars, etc. And you can find all those episodes here on the podcast. We've done them in the past. And it's just a way to look at the franchise from a deeper perspective and also from more of a business and objective side of things, which I find very interesting. So if you're new here, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show, this episode, and you can check out more like it on the channel by going over to the podcast page. Without further ado, let's start off by talking about the first part of this segment, talking about the actual money-making process of Star Wars. You know, the heroic tales from a galaxy far, far away are some of the most popular and highest-grossing movies of all time. In fact, the Star Wars franchise is the second highest-grossing franchise of all time, with $10.32 billion brought in worldwide at the box office it's only beaten by one other franchise do you want to take a guess of which it might be well if you guessed mcu you're right the marvel cinematic universe is the one that beats it however at a per movie level an average star wars movie still makes more than the comic book films so even though it's beaten out by marvel an average per movie the star wars movie are still more successful than them So if you're like a Star Wars over Marvel kind of guy or girl, well, 
you still win. <laughs> Part of Star Wars' success was the way that George Lucas appealed to multiple demographics. You know, so many people could relate to Star Wars, whether it was fans of samurai movies or Eastern cultures or the Western side of things and the um, classic cowboy movies and Westerns like that and, you know, all kinds of mythology. And originally released as Star Wars and later retitled to A New Hope, in 1977, the classic was made on a relatively low budget. Lucas made his original Star Wars movie with $10 million, which over the course of shooting expanded to $11 million, but originally projected at $10 million. Now, fun fact, when he first pitched the story and it was approved by Fox, they were only willing to give him $1 million because they thought this was going to be a B-movie and made-for-TV type of film, and honestly, a lot of them thought it was going to fail. Nevertheless, Throughout time, they started to believe in it a little bit more and gave it the film more money. Now, the movie introduced new stars, new worlds, and this thing called The Force. And altogether, it was made into this giant surprise hit, making over $775 million at the box office in 1977. And it was the highest grossing film of all time until 1982, when the movie E.T. came out. Now, there's an interesting story to be told about the earnings of all the Star Wars movies that has never really been talked about, and I find it to be fascinating. So for the first time, exclusively, I believe you're going to be hearing this story here on the Han Talks First channel. And what I'm getting at is the release in which the movies came out were consistent with trilogy earning, with, per each trilogy's earnings. Now, what I mean by that is every time a trilogy started, for example, with the originals, with A New Hope, it was an, a huge success and made tons of money. The next film, while equally as popular, made less, and then the third film made the least amount. And that was consistent with every trilogy that came out after the original. So, for example, let's go back to 1977, when A New Hope, or then known as just Star Wars, came out. It was a huge success, and it made millions of dollars at the box office. However, at the time, you know, considering the time, it was a lot less than what we think of now. So for this circumstance, I have converted everything to inflation so it equals the amount of money it would be today in 2021. So A New Hope, for example, made $3.3 billion dollars. That's how much it is with inflation. And that's a huge amount of money at the time. Like we just talked about, the highest grossing movie ever. It invented, it coined the term blockbuster, and it changed the way movies were going to be made thereafter. And of course, the hype leading up to its sequel, which at that time, everyone thought it was just going to be a one and done movie. However, the popularity increased, and George Lucas had the financial freedom to go on and make you know, sequels which he built up in his empire of toys, licensing, and merchandising, which we'll talk about later. But he eventually he went around to finally making Empire Strikes Back. And the movie was just a success, just as. Now, it didn't make as much money as the first one did. I mean, $3 billion is a huge feat, and that's a very high par standard. When Empire came out, it made almost three times less than that. Which, when we're talking about billions, that's still pretty good. Now, Empire made $1.7 billion. 
Again, this is with inflation in, in account. That's still a huge amount of money at the time, still one of the highest grossing films of all time. And it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s, that Empire, A New Hope, and even E.T., which we just talked about, actually fell down. And I think it was either, it was something like Alien or Jurassic Park that made it to the top. But it took a very long time for, you know, the head honcho of biggest box office to be knocked down from its ranks. Continuing on, in 1983, when Return of the Jedi came out, it was still a huge amount of money, but still less than The Empire Strikes Back, with $1.2 billion. So it only dropped about $5 million, or $500 million, excuse me. But the point I'm getting at here is each film, as they came out, became less successful in a monetary sense. All very popular and financially gaining in some way, but they did make less money as they came out. Now, as the time went by, 15 years, and everyone thought the franchise was going to be over, they would never make any more, George Lucas announced he was going to make a sequel trilogy. And, of course, The Phantom Menace was announced. The Phantom Menace came by, and it was the biggest, most biggest hyped movie of all time, right? I mean, Star Wars was back. And it made a ton of money. Tons of money. It was a huge box office smash. People had never seen anything like it with a sequel film. Well, technically a sequel, but a prequel film. And a huge comeback for the franchise. But get this. It didn't even make as much as The Empire Strikes Back did. Well, at the time, this was still a very successful number. Phantom Menace made only $1.6 billion dollars. Now, again, I say only, but that's still a momentous, like number, and it's, it's amazing. But as we're talking about consistency, three years later, maybe it was four, I think it was four, three or four years later, the Attack of the Clones movie was going to come out. And if we're following the, <laughs> the consistent timeline, you would assume it would make more or less money, and it did. However, it still did make a huge amount of money, but it did end up making $950 million. So it didn't pass the billion-dollar mark. At the time, this was still a huge number. And you got to remember also, these movies were not Hollywood films at this time. Up before Disney had bought these films, everything was owned by George Lucas. So these were technically independent productions. And to get numbers like this was unfathomable for an independent filmmaker. But George Lucas knew how to do it. Now, here's where it gets interesting and a little bit inconsistent with uh, the numbers. Revenge of the Sith came out, and this was, this was going to be the movie that everyone thought the prequels were going to be about, right? The turning of Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader. This was the moment everyone was waiting for. This was when the Senate turned, or turned into the Empire, and, you know, Palpatine took over as the Emperor, and... Of course, Darth Vader comes into fruition, and we figure out where Luke and Leia came from. So it's understandable that this movie would want to make more money, and it did. Worldwide, it made $950 million, which is a huge amount. And I'm sure you're probably wonder you're saying to yourself, but Han, that's more money than Attack of the Clones made. Correct. Worldwide, it did do that. But if we're looking at the domestic numbers for the United States of America... It actually made $100 million less, which 
is consistent with this narrative that we're telling here about the monetary levels going down per film that comes out. Now, of course, we bypass another 12 years and Disney buys Star Wars and they start to announce that they're going to make new Star Wars movies and a new trilogy. The Force Awakens was announced. The hype was just as huge as it was for The Phantom Menace. And people thought this movie was going to, again, change the way movies were made. And regardless of your opinions on the sequel trilogies, they are all successful. Every Star Wars movie that has come out has been a success. Maybe the exemption is Solo, but we're not going to talk about that one today. Nor are we going to talk about Rogue One. But anyway, when The Force Awakens came out, it hit a world record as the highest grossing movie for America at the time. So domestically in the US, it was it still is the highest grossing film of all time. The worldwide numbers, however, it didn't quite meet that mark. When it came out in 2015, The Force Awakens made 2.2 billion dollars. Now again, if you're thinking that's wrong, I adjusted all these numbers uh, accounting inflation, so these are equivalent to 2021, you know, uh, US dollar worth. So it made $2.2 billion. That was huge. It was a big deal. I mean, Disney needed to make their money back after purchasing Lucasfilm and, you know, spending almost, you know, almost $5 billion for this franchise, which we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But it proved a point that Star Wars was back, Star Wars was alive, and it actually made more money than The Phantom Menace did. Still, however, did not make more money than A New Hope. A New Hope to this day is one of the highest grossing films of all time. Now, if you adjust inflation, the highest grossing film of all time is actually Gone with, uh, it's Gone with the Wind or Sound of Music. I think it might be Gone with the Wind. But anyway, it was so long ago, people often forget about it. But <laughs> anyway, a couple, three years later, we come to the point where The Last Jedi was going to come out, the sequel for The Force Awakens. Now, the ending of episode seven of course we all know ended on that the one of the biggest cliffhangers in all of cinematic history literally luke skywalker standing on the edge of a cliff all just to throw that lightsaber over his shoulder (laughs) anyway considering the fact that it was ended on such a big cliffhanger and it had one of the most important characters in star wars luke skywalker that everyone got to miss out on in episode seven he they finally got to see him in episode eight so you would expect that The Last Jedi would gross more money than The Force Awakens did. It had to, right? I mean, everyone who saw The Force Awakens several times was going to go see The Last Jedi because we're all waiting to see Luke. Remember that opening crawl in The Force Awakens? Starts off with, Luke Skywalker has vanished. That's one of the best openings (laughs) to any movie as far as a preface goes. Loved it. Anyway, get to Last Jedi in 2017... It grossed $1.4 billion. That's almost $1 billion less than The Force Awakens made. Now, again, these numbers are adjusted for inflation. The Last Jedi should have made more than The Force Awakens, considering the time we live in now, and everyone knew that a sequel was coming, and that huge cliffhanger all in consideration. I think the reason why this one didn't make as much money is because people were burnt out. They didn't like... About half the audiences probably didn't like The Last Jedi. Now, while everyone who saw The Force Awakens most likely did go see The Last Jedi, the reason that made The Force Awakens so successful was people kept going back to rewatch the movie. That's another reason why The Phantom Menace was so successful. 
people went to go see that movie five, 10, 15 times in the theaters. And of course, the same thing for A New Hope. Each first installment of each trilogy was a movie that had changed the way movies were made at the time. You could argue The Force Awakens isn't, but it was a period of time, a duration between each trilogy that people hadn't seen Star Wars. And the first installment is the one that people see over and over and over because you're really not sure if there's going to be another after that. However, Last Jedi came out and it made significantly less. Still a successful film, but it made a lot less. Three years later, here comes The Rise of Skywalker, making it one of the biggest disappointments in all of Star Wars, actually. Now, this movie out of the Skywalker saga made second to last the least amount of money for Star Wars, and it ranked in at gross of $1.0 billion. The one right below that is Attack of the Clones with $950 million. But The Rise of Skywalker, the finale of the Skywalker saga, the end of a trilogy, the end of a franchise, this was supposed to be the biggest movie of all time. Yes, every other third installment of the trilogies before was, at the time, the end of a franchise. But this was it. This was the last one. We're never going to see Luke Skywalker carry uh, Princess Leia, Han Solo together like we did in this at this point in time. One, because either the characters were killed or people have passed away in real life or people have just moved on and they're not interested anymore. But this Rise of Skywalker should have been the highest grossing of this trilogy or at least of another trilogy. And it should have at least made more than The Last Jedi. But again, people's interests fell. They weren't satisfied with the content or they didn't go see it multiple times. I think the reason why it did become over a billion dollar film is because everyone just wanted to see the ending. They wanted to see how they did it. Even if they didn't care, they just wanted to know (laughs) what happened. And honestly, I don't think it would have made a billion dollars if it was not for the return of Emperor Palpatine. If that trailer hadn't have kicked off with that sinister laugh, this movie would probably not have made a billion dollars. I mean, look at the numbers. It barely made it. $1.099.038 billion. That's ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> this movie should have easily been at least $1.5 billion. But that's the interesting case of the trilogy films. They start off really strong, and they continually get worse. Now, my point of bringing all this up is not because it's interesting to look at, but because if we think about it from an audience standpoint, the general audiences appreciate movies more when there's a stretch of time in between them. So... I, for one, am happy that Lucasfilm, Disney, has taken a hiatus from Star Wars movies. They canceled the anthology trilogies or postponed them and extended them. They're focusing more on television, and they're waiting for the right moment to develop a good movie for theaters. And I think that's going to make it so that when the next one does come out, it's going to make big numbers for them. It's going to be a huge hype train for us, and we're all going to be really excited about it. But it's just something interesting to think about. And going forward, in the next trilogy, in the next set of movies, can we see the same pattern? The first film does really well, and then the next 
two thereafter or three after do a little less. I see a pattern with Star Wars movies, and we could see that going forward. So moving on from box office numbers and how much films grossed, I want to take a different approach to Star Wars money and talk about the actors and their salaries and who's the highest paying after and are they getting paid enough. Now I'm going to give you this list in order from least paid to most paid actor. And of course I can't cover all the actors in the Star Wars world because we would be here all day and all night for 17 episodes, right? And you don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. So I picked out the top 12 that I think we can talk about. And I do have an honorable mention later, of course. So starting out at number 12, the least paid actor for a role in Star Wars, you're not going to believe who this person is. It's actually Carrie Fisher. Hard to believe, right? So all of these numbers that I'm going to give you factor in their back-end points, or otherwise known as royalties, the movies they make off the net gross of the films. And Carrie Fisher, surprisingly, is at the bottom of this list. Now, of course, people below her are people like background actors, side characters, people that don't have many lines in the film, but it's shocking to find out Carrie Fisher was in the 12th spot of this list. Now, I'm counting in the original trilogy, the sequel trilogy, the prequel trilogy, even the anthology films. This is all Star Wars movies, and she's at number 12. Fun fact, actually. Now, the reason why she's at the bottom is because when the original trilogy started, she was paid $1,000 a week, which at the time was pretty good. A grand total of $10,000 salary for her, 10 weeks of shooting. Now, the reason why it was so low is because she was one of the last people cast for this movie. Originally, the role was going to go to Jodie Foster. The reason why it did not was because Jodie Foster was so little at the time, and she was a child. If they hired her, they would have to follow tons of rules and regulations and guidelines because of the restrictions about the time she could and could not be shooting because, you know, child protective laws and working laws and all that kind of stuff, so... They decided to just go with someone who was over 18, and they chose Carrie. And also, she was better for the role. But Jodie Foster actually did test screen test for the movie, which is kind of weird to think. But Carrie Fisher, 1000 bucks a week. Now, of course, she did make back-end points, and she was brought back for the sequels, which she made a lot of money for, but she's still considered 12th in our list. Right above her, you're not going to believe this one either. But it's another actor from the original trilogy who made a thousand bucks a week for a grand total of ten thousand dollars. And it is the loving Han Solo Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is number eleven on the top salaries for Star Wars actors. You know, it's funny because at the time he wasn't Harrison Ford. He was just a regular actor. He was known a little bit for his role in American Graffiti, which George Lucas also directed, but you know, he wasn't this big-time celebrity and box office draw that they could pay him a bunch of money and know that they would get a return on. And originally, he wasn't even supposed to be Han Solo. Originally, the role was going to go to Kurt Russell. If you didn't know that, how weird is that, right? They cover this in a bunch of documentaries, and it's just weird to think of anyone else in that role besides Harrison. But, however, after reading for a screen test, 
with Mark Hamill, George Lucas then decided Harrison was the right person for the role. In our 10th spot, an actor who made more money than Harrison Ford, it's kind of hard to believe, is actually Anthony Daniels, the actor who played C-3PO. A grand total throughout all nine movies that he has been a part of, he made $181,000. You know, back in 1974, before he was known for C-3PO, he was working for the BBC Public Radio. And his agent approached him one day and said, hey, I would like you to meet this guy named George because I think you guys should work together in the future. He just did this great movie and I think you need a good role. And no one knew who George Lucas was at the time, right? I mean, regular people had no idea. And Anthony Daniels actually said, no, not interested. But it wasn't until his agent persuaded him like countless times that he finally agreed to do it. And eventually George Lucas gave him the role for C-3PO. Interesting, huh? Now, above Anthony Daniels, in our ninth spot is John Boyega making $150,000. Now, equal to him, which is also in spot number eight, is Daisy Ridley. Both of them made the same amount of money, $150,000 average for the sequel trilogy movies. Now, that's a lot less than you would think that they made. When people think of the stars of the sequel Star Wars movies, they think they're rich and loaded and making so much money. They are for people like me, (laughs) where $150,000 could last me a pretty long time. But for people like them, you know, they, they spent that money. They got nice apartments. They bought nice things, nice clothes, all this kind of stuff. And they actually burnt through it really fast. And now they were eager to find new jobs so they could pay for things again, which is kind of weird. They got all this money up front and didn't know what to do with it. So they just blew it. You know, Daisy Ridley constantly says to herself all the time, no one will hire me and I really need work. I'm, I'm trying to find jobs. It's weird to think that a Star Wars actor is finding a hard time getting work. But it's also weird to think that she wasn't paid that much money. And the reason why Disney didn't have to pay the stars of the new franchise a huge salary is because they were nobodies. They were unknown actors who if didn't do any big roles, hadn't done anything at all, really. I mean, Daisy Ridley, she was only in a few things before, and some of which was not even speaking roles. She was just either an extra or just on screen for a very short amount of time. And they were promised, you know, a bright future, the leads of a franchise, and the prosperity of, like, a hopeful career going forward. And we'll see what happens with their career in the future. And right now, though... They're struggling to find work. I hope they do. Right above John Boyega and Daisy Ridley in spot number seven is actually a legacy character. Now, this one is hard to believe because he was the main character of the original trilogy and the character you think of when you think Star Wars, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is at number seven of the top paid Star Wars actors. Isn't that (laughs) absolutely insane? For all the movies he was in, he made a total of $650,000. Now, of course, he had back-end deals, which means he's still making royalty payments to this day for Star Wars money. He was set for life. But if we're talking about just the original trilogy, he was the highest-paid actor. And at the time, Harrison Ford's success was growing, and he was becoming more of a lead man than Mark Hamill was. And it's funny because at the time when Mark Hamill tells the story about 
you know, uh, screen testing for Star Wars. He walked into the room and Harrison was there and he thought he was, you know, screen testing for Harrison to be the lead role because he didn't think he, he thought Harrison was a leading man. But eventually the role went to him and he became one of the highest paid actors at that time more than Harrison Ford, which is hard to believe. But for the Star Wars movies in the original trilogy and the sequel, he was actually the highest paid actor for the time, collectively. Of course, Harrison Ford is a higher paid actor in general, but if we're talking about Star Wars, Mark Hamill is the highest of the legacy characters. But he's only at number seven. But right above them, who was another lead of the sequel movies, was Oscar Isaac. Now, he was a little bit more established than the other two. You know, he's been in a bunch of independent films and had leading roles, and he's also a very dynamic actor. You know, he did Inside Louine Davis, which is a great movie where he sang and showed off a bunch of other talents other than just acting. He was also in Ex Machina, which is a fantastic film. You should check it out because it's amazing. It also has the guy who played General Hux. I can't remember his name, but it had him too, and it's just a great movie. It's so amazing. But Oscar Isaac made $750,000 for the sequel trilogy. That's incredible. And to think that he wasn't even the original choice for Poe Dameron. <laughs> That's right. Originally, the role was eyed for either Michael B. Jordan or Michael Fassbender. I guess they just really wanted someone named Michael. But it's weird to think about Poe Dameron as either one of those two. Michael Fassbender and Michael B. Jordan are both great actors, but... When you think about who the character turned into with Oscar Isaac, it's just weird to think about someone else in that role. He's kind of perfect for it. And one of the reasons why he was probably paid so much was because he was originally going to die in the movie. And when Oscar Isaac got the role, he was, you know, he approached J.J. Abrams and he said, hey, I would, I think you should reconsider keeping my character alive. And of course he did that because... He wanted to get some more cash. But a one-off movie, you usually get paid a little bit more than someone who is committed to a three-movie deal, for example, such as Daisy Ridley and John Boyega. Continuing on with the sequel trilogy, we bring up another actor, Adam Driver. He's in spot number five, making the same amount as Oscar Isaac, $750,000. Now, before the sequels came out and he was known as Kylo Ren, Adam Driver had done a bunch of stuff, a wide variety of roles. He, you know, done some television, some stage work, and other movies as well. And when J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy were crafting the ideas for a story for Episode 7, when they were trying to think of a villain, Kathleen Kennedy suggested Adam Driver. And J.J. Abrams thought immediately, that's the perfect choice. So they actually wrote the character Kylo Ren around the hopes that Adam Driver would play him, which is kind of interesting and kind of rare in Hollywood. Coming in at number four is actually a character that has not been in any of the Skywalker Saga films. This character was from Rogue One and made the fourth most amount of money out of all the Star Wars actors, and that is Felicity Jones, who played Jyn Erso in Rogue One. Now, this one is very hard to believe because... When you think of the Star Wars actors, for me anyway, I don't think of Felicity Jones as being one of the most popular ones, but she is, apparently. And Disney thought it was enough to have to pay her a million dollars for her role as Jyn Erso. Now, of course, at this time in her career, she had won 
a bunch of awards and she was critically acclaimed and very popular with audiences. So she had the credibility to ask for more money or she's just got a really good agent who I should consider taking on as my agent. That would never happen. But anyway, it's also weird because she wasn't the first pick to play Jin or so. There was actually two other people before her who actually tested for the role, like a screen test. One of them was Tatiana Maslany, and the other one was Rooney Mara. Now, both of them, just like her, were into a bunch of independent films, very artsy stuff, very dramatic roles, but Felicity Jones was the one who made the final cut. And it was actually because of the head of the studio at the time, Alan Horn. Alan Horn runs Walt Disney Studio, and one of my heroes, I think he does amazing work. He's one of the reasons why Star Wars is back, why it made so much money, and he's just, he's one of the greats in Hollywood. But he's the reason why Felicity Jones was the deciding choice between her, Tatiana, and Rooney. So for that, we thank you, Alan. Number three is actually moving into the prequel era, and we're talking about another fantastic, amazing actor who's very dynamic and also very intimidating. And I'm talking about Liam Neeson. Now, of course, for those of you that don't know the name, he played Qui-Gon Jinn, an amazing character in Star Wars, and he's the third highest-paid actor out of all the Star Wars actors. He made, for his role in The Phantom Menace, one movie, $2.5 million. Now, of course, he had the rep at the time to be able to claim a big back-end deal, so to this day, he's still making royalties off that film. But for one role in one movie, he's the third highest-paid actor in Star Wars. You know, Liam Neeson, when he was first, you know, hearing about The Phantom Menace, and he heard that George Lucas wanted him for a role, he immediately accepted it without even reading the script. And he says he had a good time, and he really loved being a part of it, but with all the backlash and everything, you gotta wonder... If he had read the script before saying yes, would he have still said yes? Okay, everybody, we're getting closer to number one, so it's time for you to place your guesses. Who do you think is in our number two and number one spot? Some of you might already know the answer to this, and some of you, I may just subvert your expectations. Number two, making $3.3 million for his role in the Star Wars movies is Alec Guinness. Since Alec Guinness was the most famed actor in that first movie, he received a salary that matched his experience. And he didn't have the highest salary for playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he did negotiate 2.25% of the movie's profits. And according to Celebrity Net Worth, that's nine times as much as most of the cast received. Nine times as much. He's known as being the highest paid actor for one single movie, and it's because of his back-end deal. He made 2.25% of the net gross after that film. Now, the movie, as we just talked about, A New Hope, made over $3 billion with inflation, which means he made $3.3 million. Now, at the time, this type of negotiation was unimaginable. No one in Hollywood would ever do that. But how this happened is when George Lucas first approached Alec Guinness for the role, he offered him a really good back-end deal with 1%, which still is very, very generous. And as time went on, as production happened and Alec Guinness was you know, very kind to everybody and very helpful and also 
you know, one of the most mature persons on set and helped bring the team together and act serious and professional, George Lucas decided he wanted to thank him later. So he offered him a pay bump and he brought it up another 0.5%, which is extremely generous. Now, after the movie came out and it was doing really, really well, George Lucas, knowing that he might want to bring him back for a sequel and to thank him, called him on the phone and offered him another bump in his pay. And that's where the 2.25% comes in. Now, Alec Guinness thought, wow, that's really generous. Why not? Because I don't think this movie's going to make that much money anyway. So he took the pay. Little did he know, it would go on to be the highest grossing movie of that time. And he became a millionaire thereafter. And at that time, he was one of the highest paid people in all of Hollywood. Some say to this day. Now, the number one spot is kind of hard to imagine. Now, if you want to take your guesses, go right ahead. Because I would never have guessed that this actor was to be the most highest paid actor in all of Star Wars. Now, it's not Samuel L. Jackson. I know that's what you're thinking with his repertoire. But it's actually... Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor made over $7 million for his role portraying Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. Now, it's understandable that he would make this much money because he's an amazing actor. Everybody loves him, and he did a, you know, an impossible task bringing back to life, you know, Alec Guinness's version of Obi-Wan. But at the time, he was a nobody. That was one reason why George Lucas wanted him, but also because... He discovered him in a leading role in the movie Train Spotting, which is a very weird movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a classic in a cult sort of way, but you should check it out anyway. It's kind of cool. But he was still considered a nobody, but starting to get to more popularity. But throughout time, as the trilogy progressed, he became even more popular and started getting extra roles and more um, exposure. And people loved him, and he ended up making a lot more money up until Revenge of the Sith. And he, too, had back-end deals. But $7 million for his portrayal as Obi-Wan Kenobi is mind-blowing. He is the highest-paid actor in all of Star Wars. It's so hard to believe. I would never have guessed it was Ewan McGregor. I honestly thought it was Alec Guinness first coming into this. Now, if you adjust with inflation, maybe Alec Guinness is still above him. But it's funny that Obi-Wan Kenobi is in the first two spots for highest-paid actor. Now, there's some honorable mentions I wanted to, you know, shout out. Um, well, not honorable mention, more of like a fun fact, but it's actually about David Prowse. David Prowse <laughs> is the one actor who never made royalties from Revenge of the Jedi. I'm sorry, Return of the Jedi. I'm still caught up in, like, George Lucas's early drafts. But yeah, David Prowse wasn't paid anything for royalties. Zero. <laughs> now, a lot of this has to do with his drama between him and George Lucas. You know, George didn't really care for him, you know, thinking that he, like, you know, took advantage of him and leaked certain things about the movies and all that kind of stuff, which may or may not be true. I don't know. But he decided to give him no percentage on royalties and back in. The only actor in that movie to have that deal. I have a quote here from David that says, There is a big difference between having a share of the gross profits and having a share of the net. It's a huge difference in just one word. Now, apparently in his contract, he was given a percentage of the gross. But that's depleted after a certain amount of weeks, months, roughly a year. You know, that's kind of pushing it. But he was offered nothing of the net sale, which is 
mind-blowing. And unfortunately, he only got paid for his time on set. Kind of impressive, isn't it? That would not fly by today's standards. It's it's just unheard of. It, people wouldn't allow it. Everyone would go crazy. But poor David Proust, may he rest in peace. And thank you so much for bringing Darth Vader to life. Okay, now before we get out of here, for our third part of this episode... I'm just going to give you some fun facts about the money of Star Wars because honestly there's so many cool things about the finances in this franchise that I could share with you and talk about all day but instead I'll just break it all down and give you some you know top 10 of the funnest facts I could find about Star Wars. So first of all, worldwide the Star Wars movies made a box office revenue of 10.32 billion dollars, which we talked about earlier. Absolutely incredible. The highest grossing film franchise of all time per film, and second is the MCU. Now, do you remember earlier when we talked about how George Lucas sold Star Wars property for $4.5 billion? Well, ever since that time, Star Wars has grown in popularity and also in its worth. You want to go ahead and take a guess of how much Star Wars is worth today? Go ahead. I'll wait. As of last year, in January of 2020, Star Wars, the property, the franchise, is approximately worth $70 billion. That means if you or a company wanted to buy the Star Wars movies, it would cost them $70 billion to do that. And this is from uh, the Forbes website, so this is accurate. Another fun fact is that the richest Star Wars actor in history is not Ewan McGregor. While he was paid the most, he's not the richest Star Wars actor. That title is held by Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is a very popular actor, loved by many, and of course a great character in the prequel movies, Mace Windu, my favorite Jedi from the prequels. And he's the highest, you know... He's the richest actor in all of Star Wars history. He's, he's worth $250 million. Very impressive. The next fun fact is actually about uh, Kenner, the toy-making company. Now, back in the early, uh, late 70s, they managed to snatch up the lucrative Star Wars license so that they could make the toys for the franchise. And one of the original figures that they made was a they manufactured a Boba Fett action figure that was complete with a rocket launcher on its back. Now... At a certain point, the rocket launcher was deemed to be a choking hazard, and the toy was recalled. So there was only 30 of these Boba Fetts, the original ones, that are in existence. And they're still out there, and you can find them today. The most recent one was sold at an auction for $112,926 for an action figure. That's crazy. Next fun fact is actually going to be about Yoda. Back when they were making The Empire Strikes Back, they made four different Yoda puppets. One puppet was modeled to fit the puppeteer Frank Oz's hand to perfection, and two radio-controlled Yodas were built for long shots, and finally, a Yoda suit was made to fit the actor Deep Roy. On the muddy set, the Yodas got dirtier and dirtier, and careful viewers were probably be able to tell which scenes were shot first based on how dirty Yoda appeared, so... Partly due to the extra work of creating Yoda, the film's budget expanded from the initial $18 million to $33 million because of the Yoda puppets. That also includes Frank Oz's salary, the labor people used to you know, put into it, and uh, the sets that were being built. But that's a huge jump from the budget. That's a lot 
of green. The next fact is about uh, Disney and The Mandalorian. You know, when The Mandalorian came out, it was a shock to everybody that they introduced this new character called Baby Yoda. But everyone was like, where are the toys at? Well, luckily, they didn't, you know, put an order in for anybody to make toys of Baby Yoda so they could keep it a secret. And actually, because they did that, a lot of other companies and a lot of people on Etsy and people like that were making their own Baby Yoda merchandise. And uh, Forbes estimated that Disney missed out on earning $2.7 million in that first year on Baby Yoda merchandise alone. And by that point, of course, you know, when they did end up making Baby Yoda merch, a lot of people had already bought what they wanted. So they they took a huge hit for keeping that a secret. And we got to be thankful because they'll hold that over our heads forever. You know, it's probably going to be a while until they decide they're going to make another big decision like that again. Next fact is actually about Princess Leia in Return of the Jedi. That amazing outfit she wears at Jabba's Palace. You know what I'm talking about. That's right, Slave Leia. So Leia's gold bikini was sold at an auction for $96,000. And though it appears it's made out of metal, it's actually made out of rubber. There was a metal version that was worn in the movie for, like, close-up shots only. However, the official one was made out of rubber, and that's how much it's sold for to this day. The next fact is about the Death Star. How much would it cost if we wanted to build a Death Star today? Well, getting enough steel to build the first smaller Death Star would cost approximately $852 quadrillion dollars. It's more than a million, it's more than a billion, it's more than a trillion, it's quadrillion. That's insane. I can't even imagine. And that's according to 2012's US dollars. So to this day, it's probably even more. It's about 13 times the world's gross domestic product at that time. And that's just the cost of the raw materials. If you factor in labor, other parts, computer systems, the interiors, you're looking at a bill that is, shall I say out of this world. Another fun fact is actually going to be about the special editions of the original trilogy that came out in the 90s. The special editions made over $138 million at the box office for their re-release. If you think about it, that's actually a pretty big number, considering it was a re-release of a film franchise, and also very poorly received, considering all the new special effects and additions that were made. So that is a big number. Our last fact of the day is going to be about probably your most hated character in Star Wars, and that is Jar Jar Binks. Okay, so the actor who played him, Ahmed Best, wore a rubber suit and a headpiece, and the digital animators would flesh out the rest of his character for the finished version. But while he was on set he would wear this rubber suit that looked like Jar Jar Binks. Now, he once told Rolling Stones in the early 2000s, the magazine, not the band, that he had wanted to keep the Jar Jar headpiece that he would wear during filming, and he wanted to keep it as a souvenir. But he wasn't allowed to, because the headpiece for Jar Jar Binks cost $100,000 to make, just the headpiece. The whole costume overall, the rubber placeholder, not even the one used in the final film, was over $300,000 to make. And then if you factor in the special effects that made him come to life, 
This was almost a million dollar creature that they tried to make for the Phantom Menace. Okay, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode about the finances, the, the money of Star Wars, and how much money the actors made. And uh, I would love to know what your favorite part was. So if you're interested uh, in contacting me, I would love to know. So hit me up. Tell me. And if you're listening on YouTube in the comments below, please tell me what your favorite part of this video was. And also share with me some money facts about Star Wars that you know that I forgot to mention today. And maybe we'll come back and do a part two of this some other time. I think the most interesting thing to myself was learning that Ewan McGregor is actually the highest paid actor for a Star Wars movie. Didn't see that one coming. Could have sworn it would have been Alec Guinness. One thing I forgot to mention was it was almost impossible for me to find any number of salary that Hayden Christensen was paid for his role as Darth Vader. We all know that Hayden is a very private person, but usually it's pretty easy to access actors' salaries on the interwebs. But for some reason, I could not find out how much he was paid. Anyway, maybe you guys know and you can inform me. Or I'll just have to go buy another book out here and see if I can figure that out. Until next time, my friends, we are getting really close to episode 100. So please, again, join us on Monday live on the YouTubes or Facebook if you want to watch there. And it's going to be a great episode. You're not going to want to miss it. If you haven't seen my interview with Hollywood screenwriter Cameron Pasha, please head over to the YouTube or right here in the podcast and check that out. It was a great conversation. We talked about Star Wars. We talked about the scripts of Star Wars and just a bunch of other stuff as well. So if you are a fan of you know, Star Wars or just are an aspiring screenwriter, maybe you'd get some value out of that conversation we had. And uh, it's Wednesday, so that means our next episode will be the WandaVision After Show this Friday. So be sure to come by and check that out. We do that live. Me and my girlfriend host it every Friday on YouTube. So if you want to come check it out and say hey to us live, feel free to do that. But if you don't like Marvel stuff, then I'll just see you on Monday. <laughs> Again, this was the last episode of Han Talks First Season 2. Um, well, second to last. But last one before the 100th. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And until I see you again, somehow, some way, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you.